Hey guys, welcome to Industry 4.0, your source for all news tech, product releases, and anything happening in the in the realm of technology. I'm joined today by Kyle, Irvin, and Ryan. Um, Jeff couldn't make it today, he's out. So, we've got a good episode for you guys today. I um, think we can start off on uh, the introduction. So, Kyle, welcome to the show. How's it going, guys? Uh, you know, it's my second episode, which is nice. And First in person. <laughs> And we're joined again by Irvin, finally. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, <laughs> good to be back. Missed the last episode. And Ryan. Hey, what's up, guys? You guys are probably sick of hearing me by now, but here I am. <laughs> no J-Bones. This is, this is disappointing, I gotta tell you. It's, no. yeah. Who goes and sees family on podcast day? Come on. We're missing the beat master. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess we can just jump right into the topics. Uh, the first thing um, I know we talked about on the last episode, Irvin, you weren't here for this, but um, the FCC, since they opened their website up for comments, has since taken it down so they can quote-unquote reflect on the current set of comments they have. Uh, what do you think? Anybody have any thoughts on this current topic? It's good that, that they're, um, well, it, it, we can see that there's a lot of traffic because of that. Um, what John, uh, Oliver, uh, did and put a lot of attention to the public to get right. People's attend, uh, actually people to do something about, uh, the net neutrality because it's very important in, in the future of the internet. Um, so um, and sort of like DDoS their website immediately after that release and I don't know, they just stopped taking off uh, to turn off the comments. I don't know, it's sort of like kind of blocking the people's opinion, trying to have them like enter well, whatever you, they want to say. You could call that almost like an organic DDoS because yeah. It wasn't necessarily taken down because someone didn't want it up. It was taken down because so many people cared about it that they went on and posted their comments, which then shut the website down. I actually, um, because I couldn't do this, I was able to, I found the email for AgitPy and I sent him an email directly today. I actually emailed <laughs> him one-on-one yeah, -on -one today yeah. so, um, because I was like, it's while I appreciate that you have offered the service. I, I don't appreciate the fact that you've cut off our only medium of communicating mm -hmm. with the FCC, which right. I think is important that people should have. Did you throw in a bit about his uh, Reese's mom? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, I didn't. But I'm sure that Reese's appreciates all the free advertising they've oh, gotten man. from this whole debacle. I believe it. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, again, it's... Is it a complete shutdown? Is it really like they want to reflect? Is it like, oh, it, it's it is nice that clearly they've gotten such overwhelming response that they need that they feel they need to do this, whether they actually need to or not is another story. But it's it's good to see not even from their perspective. It's good to see that the public is clearly taking arms and getting ready to combat things that they care about, which you don't always see in, in mm -hmm. social and technology and, every, and other movements. So. Yeah. And on that note, um, there was also the big problem where people were actually um, writing bots to grab real people's names and pose as them to send emails. So there were the stream of real people contacting the FCC trying to get this known. But on the same note, you have all these people who are kind of gaming the system in order to flood it with like this, the same comments over and over again. But I think that 
that what the FCC should have done was leave the website open to interpretation and at the same time just kind of uh, take a batch of those and move it to somewhere else where they can kind of reflect on those, get that done while they still let the numbers roll in. So I think just a pure statistic of how many people are reaching out to the FCC is, speaks for itself. It speaks volumes. Like you said, I mean, it would be a weird thing if if other places that you reached out to just I, I mean, I kind of read it in the article. I don't want to take it and make it my own words, but it would be weird if someone else you were used to commenting on or email or say like a famous YouTuber all of a sudden was just like, I need to reflect on the comments from the last couple of days. So you can't <laughs> comment. Well, it's, or you can just read them when you get to them mm-hmm. or you can organize like FCC, you can get someone who just reads emails for a day. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it would be boring for that dude, but or chick, but like it's, you could easily just have someone read those comments and catch you up in a couple of days on what people are talking about, or at least get the, the gist of the idea. It, it would be weird for anyone else to do it. And hopefully it's, it's seen as weird in this case as well. Mm-hmm. And I would also like proof that the DDoS attacks are actually real and there's mm-hmm. any merit to this. They've claimed that they were actually being, um, that they had denial of service attacks on their website, but they haven't come out with any kind of concrete evidence on what actually happened with that, whether it was an organic thing, like I said earlier, or if it actually was someone attacking the website. But I don't know. I would like to see some kind of some kind of follow up on that, at least. Either way, I mean, I'm a little concerned about the scalability of the FCC's you know, web hosting in general. I mean, I, you think at this point they'd be able to set up an alert maybe every Sunday night around 1130 uh, if this is going to be a frequent occurrence. Well, just look at healthcare.gov. Right. <laughs> right. That, that, they don't hire the best uh, web devs. Yeah. yeah. They haven't exactly had a first good go around every once in a while. So maybe maybe their term reflect is that their way to cover that they're trying to uh, <laughs> cover some ground here <laughs> didn't it used to be the government got decent developers and then they waited for them to get hacked and then offered jobs to those guys instead of arresting them what happened to that can you get back that one again please black hat to white hat huh? <laughs> <laughs> it happens in all the movies <laughs> I think the FCC does have a few things to learn when it comes to this kind of stuff because people are passionate about it and people care. And the government always has this kind of unusual reaction when they actually open up something and think that people are going to just be like, oh, my, all, all the people are just going to, other people are going to reach out, people on Reddit, people on 4chan, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Anybody who has seen something about it would reach out and say, like, oh, this. Is something I care about and that other people just sit back and kind of hope that other people will do it for them. So it's good to see that this many people are actually going forward and kind of speaking their mind about it. And hopefully they reopen it, which I think is more important because a strong net neutrality under Title II is something that I think should be like extremely important in today's society for the Internet. I agree. I, I feel like this this net neutrality thing is it's almost an infringement on our ability to exchange information freely and that is core and yeah it's i'm glad to see that this, this many people care so deeply about it yeah and like the one way that it was described um i think it was the youtuber who did chocolate rain like he said on the <laughs> on um the john oliver show last week tonight um they were saying that it's the, the easiest way to describe it is if you have you have two search engines you have google and bing and if someone or say Comcast is getting more money from Microsoft on 
um, search results, then they could throttle <clears throat> Google's search engine and favor searches on Bing to make it faster and more convenient. And people on Google would leave because they don't want to deal with like 15 second or like a long lag or delay on their search. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's something that people definitely need to be aware of. And it, yeah, it, and I think uh, people are indirectly. So if you want a real world <coughs> example of what uh, this type of favoring of certain <coughs> services over another, um, if you're on T-Mobile, uh, they already do this, but their their way of saying it is that there's no money um, exchange behind the scenes when they're doing it. So when they give uh, preferential treatment to uh, certain services, it's just their choice if they see traffic uh, going too. So if you're on T-Mobile, if for any of the popular music services or video services, Netflix, YouTube, Spotify, uh, Google Play Music, Apple Music, if you're using that on their... Um, uh, 4G network, you don't. It doesn't count against your data cap. So a lot of people view that as like, oh, awesome! I don't have to pay extra for all these data. Uh, I could stream as much Spotify as I want without paying extra mm -hmm. uh, for uh, my gigabytes. It was like, awesome, sweet. But then that term that is, let's say, uh, a brand new music service that's way better than Spotify, way better than Apple Music comes out. They have no chance of succeeding because people will pick Spotify and Apple Music to listen to music instead of that new service, which may be a lot better, but they're just still going to pick the other ones because then they don't have to pay for data. They don't want to pay for extra data to check out this new service that may be a lot better. Yeah. So that's a, a and team almost doing that right now, but um, we're actually also seeing that on AT&T yeah. uh, with their direct TV. Right, but that's their own service. So that's different, right? Because T-Mobile doesn't own Spotify. They don't own Netflix. But AT&T owns DirecTV. So these are two. But, yeah. But they're giving preferential treatment to their own service. Mm -hmm. Verizon's doing the same thing. Um, yeah. But T-Mobile doesn't own any of it. Yeah, those are like, it's two good examples of current things that are happening. And even like... I would argue, of course, favoring your own service over another competitor service is bad, but I think it's just as bad to say that you have a service that is paying you more money to be treated better than other services. Just allowing that mar that kind of a market itself kind of sets up this whole problem that we have. Yeah. I think that's really where it's going to get carried away is, is right now, okay, like it's great for the people who have T-Mobile, great for the people who have AT&T and DirecTV. In that moment, those consumers are like, dude, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me personally. Right. But when you start getting this pay for play, this pay for access type of service on the internet, which is supposed to be free reign, it's supposed to be, like you said, a free exchange of information between everybody across the entire world. And when it starts going from that and like people being able to develop freely and really have their own mind and own ideas on the internet when that starts to slow down that's when the internet is no longer what it was intended to be and starts to become something else entirely well my theory is like have we not already been doing this for years i mean i know google has been the go-to like you know the go-to way for people to search the web for uh, since its existence so almost <laughs> in the beginning there was there were several competitors but google beat them all out and now google basically is able to search what you what you search for i mean they're able to screen it they can sort it they can filter it as so ever they choose so that's the reason that the deep web exists and the tour browser i don't know if you guys like want to talk about that stuff on the show but 
it's their way of bypassing the filter that Google already has set up for us. And we're, yeah. we're, when you dig down to it, it's the same thing. The ISPs want to set up a filter with preferential uh, treatment for whoever pays them. Mm-hmm. I mean, so th- you can say there's a freedom of information, but it's almost like we're already being blocked from certain things depending on whatever a government decides, whatever a, a certain search provider decides. It's, it's I don't know, it, the freedom of information is a loose term. Yeah, and I agree with you in the same way that I disagree with you mm-hmm. on that topic because um, while Google did have the service that won out on all the other searches, you had Ask Jeeves, you have DuckDuckGo, you have Tor. Um, I Ask think Jeeves. that, <laughs> yeah, if you remember so that So many one. book reports finished on Ask Jeeves. I mean, it's just <laughs> so many reports and <laughs> so many research projects done. A to Z booklets on Chile, mm-hmm. all done through... Yeah, check that out. Seventh grade project. You guys, guys remember uh, dogpile.com? <laughs> <laughs> and then what I, what I was saying um, is that while that all happened on its own, it happened organically. Mm-hmm. What's happening here is being done through deals. AT&T buying DirecTV, right. um, Spotify, and other music services paying uh, T-Mobile. So that's, I think, where the line happens. I think we can allow that stuff to happen organically. If Google truly does have a better search engine, then sure. they should win out eventually. And um, other ones are still there, but it's just kind of people prefer the market of Google in the same way they find a brand of clothing mm-hmm. they like and they stick with that. In the same way they find a phone they like and stick with that brand of phone. Um, I think that's, that's where net neutrality shines mm-hmm. in, in that example. But in the cases of T-Mobile and AT&T, while it's, it's under the guise of a good thing for the consumer, it's also under the, it's, un, it's a really bad thing for the small business or the small emerging markets. I feel like startups would almost be a, way, a, a thing of the past in this right. case. Like, right. I mean, it sounds so dumb, but we, we've all watched the show Silicon Valley, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. all four <laughs> of us here at least. And yeah. like Pied Piper, it's original. I only thought of it because we were talking about Excuse me. We're talking about specifically like uh, music streaming. And the original idea was to have Pied Piper be a music program. Mm -hmm. There's no chance in the universe that that would take off ever if people like iTunes and Google and Spotify and whoever else and Pandora are paying extra to have have the 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 access blocked to these other things. So that's Mm -hmm. I know it's it's a it's a cultural reference, but it's it, it, it. it's a good example if you're unfamiliar with what we're talking about. Definitely. Yeah, right. Their pocket is unlimited compared to the small guys, right? So they can pay a limited amount of money to uh, the ISPs to like, hey, get my packets over this guy. Don't let the just throttle, uh, in this case, Pipe Piper's uh, service so that everyone gets everything else faster, but not small guys it seems like what it boils down to is like you can you can market yourself with a superior product in a free market but what like matt was saying earlier the market is no longer free if if from the beginning the small guy has no chance because they can't outbid the the big guy it's almost monopolizing the internet basically what they're doing in cable right now i mean they're they're trying so hard to stop comcast from buying everybody smaller than them and it's it's almost not working. I mean, you can see the same thing happen with internet service and internet providing and speeds and accessibility and all kind of, like like we were talking about last on the last episode. Could you imagine if you had to pay for access 
to the internet like you do cable now. You have your basic package, and then for twenty bucks more a month, you you can get access to X Y Z website, and right. it's like it's it could really go to a dangerous level of just getting the consumer to have to shell out as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's why people need to know that. Sure, these the services are great that you kind of get, but it's it's through a narrow lens that those things are good. If you look at the grand scheme of things, it's hard to tell what's really good unless you have a true free open internet where each service is weighted equally in terms of that. Like I, if I had been told that, um, if I knew, if I know that, I probably wouldn't. Um, want to use a plan that way because I feel like I'd be harming small business if I know that um, the fact that I'm saving data is at the expense of other companies that can't actually enter the market. Yeah. Right. So, it, like like Thompson said earlier, Ryan said earlier, it's is it truly a free market right now? No, I mean, to an extent, yes, but I mean, there's plenty of things that that are going behind the scenes that we don't see. That's the reason for the deep internet at the moment, but. It's nowhere near the level of something like cable. We're not at the point where where it could potentially be, and that's a dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and cable's at a point where um, you need. There's a lot of overhead in order to set up a channel. There's a lot of things that need that normal people can't do. But the internet, anybody can pay for a domain. Anybody can do that, and it's it shouldn't be treated the same way. It should be its own. It's it's a new medium that is going to be the future of all communication and. Um, any kind of social interaction in the future between people across great distances. Right. And I like the fact that Irvin brought up the wireless networks because it seems like they're al- they're already in their own gray area in terms of being an ISP technically. It's like, oh, we're a cellular provider, but still they're providing the same data. And if they're already giving themselves preferential treatment in terms of whatever products they want to provide and they're going to promote their own things already, it seems like they're already kind of moving into the net neutrality aspect and then trying to invade on what they can. And now they're going to push it to the major cable providers, the ISPs, Verizon, Comcast. Mm-hmm. If once it's once it's through everything, then I'm not sure we'll end up. <laughs> you could even see, eventually see some of the reverse happening. I mean, ESPN does not own any cable provider, but to be a cable provider that carries ESPN, you, regardless of whether the package that individual has has ESPN or not, they are paying. Because in order, say, for DirecTV to even have ESPN at all on any of their plans, even if it's only on the most expensive plan, they have to pay as if everybody had it. Mm-hmm. ESPN is available to everybody, even if that individual, like your bill went up when ESPN made that deal, whether you have ESPN or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If your package is the most basic and it has eight channels and one of them isn't ESPN, you're still paying for ESPN. And you can see bigger things like Spotify go that route. Mm-hmm. Or hey, we're the we're the biggest thing in music streaming. So now for Verizon Internet to carry us, you're paying for that, and we're only going to be on the Golden Premium plan. And Silver and Basic still have to pay more because of the fact that we are only available to this internet provider. And it, it could really get to a dangerous level that way too. Right. And just to to reiterate it and um, to to beat the horse again, um, <laughs> it's. It's important that the people understand where the internet's going and this could this has broader reach and impact on things that we may not even know about yet just because of the infrastructure because we're still as 
as established as we are and as pretty as it is and as um, as full of content creation and like free choice and ease of access as it is, the Internet is still very young It's in terms of any kind of industry. So we're kind of in the defining time where this could go wherever it is because of legislation or because of people speaking out in favor of a service that we see as important as the future of communication. Yeah, as millennials, it's almost like we're at the helm here. We get, we have we have the ability at the right period of time to steer the ship in the correct direction or whichever direction we choose it to go in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it depends on whether we take action or not in the end. Yeah, and getting like a, back on the last episode, drawn by supercomputers and all that stuff, like all the <laughs> yeah. fun things that come with the internet as as it stands. Oh yes. <laughs> I like to think of myself out of the five of us, four of us today, but five of us overall, as the person who knows the least, who is more like the generic consumer. And for me, I mean, we started talking about net neutrality leading into last week's episode. And I was just like, what? And I remember mentioning it to my girlfriend and she was even more confused because I had heard the term before I watched an occasional show here and there that might talk about it or listen to something. And I was still like, I don't really know what that means. Mm -hmm. And I mean, after talking to you guys in one literally during the episode, the little bit of research I did beforehand and the research I've done since, it's amazing how quickly I found out about how important this topic is. So if you don't know, like you said, again, I'm, I'm reiterating what we've said four times already, but it is that important and it's super easy to educate yourself to some level on how important this is and and hopefully we can do something about it. And um, there's a bunch of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with that and um, kind of kind of segueing into the next topic. I know um, there's been some hardware issues as well as software issues. The, we have the net neutrality, but the big thing that just came out this past week was um, there was a line of HP computers that were the, the elite, the elite book and the ZBook laptops, um, it turns out that there was an audio driver that was included where the software developer had turned on a logging functionality because the, the drivers look for a specific keystroke in order to um, begin um, operating the recording software. And it turns out that the logging never turned off and it turns into a keylogger. Yes, for use for the debug purposes and the programmer just to, forgot to turn off uh, the logging feature when they actually released the software. My bad. My bad. <laughs> nice, nice product. Yeah. What better way? <laughs> what better way to log people's actions and find out problems than to log literally every keystroke in action, including <clears throat> passwords, login information, and anything they do on the computer yeah. between literally every them. keystroke. Until you log out. Yeah. yeah. Well, here was your first mistake. Your password was one, two, three, four, five, six. Excuse me? Yeah, that's an issue. That's and, the log, just, and the log file was accessible to anyone that was had access to the computer. So it was stored in the public folder um, under the users and on in C drive. So it, that folder is accessible to anyone logged onto the computer. So you don't have to have access to that user's account. You just have to have access to the computer and pull that C drive and then pull that log file. You can see exactly uh, what was typed in. But uh, the thing is, it it actually wipes it every time you log on. Um, So it only records that portion of the that while you were logged on. But you're still typing everything in. So any website that you access during that time, it's logged in that file. And also... A lot of people have um, services that back their that back their computer up, whether it's locally or to the cloud. And if your backup runs 
during your login session, then that file is in a public folder, so it gets backed up to the cloud. So if something happens to the cloud, somebody has this like five-hour key log of you doing everything you did on the computer, everything you typed. And um, I know it's going to be a stretch to say that there's, there, I think they said there was two file directories where it stored these files and people should check for these uh, audio drivers, which is like C Windows System 30 32, uh, Mic Tray 64, or Windows System 32, Mic Tray, uh, a couple EXE files. And if, if you have those two files, then you have this issue on an HP computer. Um, and I'll include those in the show notes, of course. But um, HP did say they were going to be working on a, a fix for this, and it's going to be coming out soon. So it's interesting to see that um, we still have really poor programming decisions implemented and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the big thing was that they did originally claim that it, the files would erase themselves upon logout, right? Was that, was, was that yeah. what it was upon logout? But again, like you said, the backup is where it can get really dangerous. If you're backing up in the middle of doing something, that's, it's literally recording everything you've done, including, like you said, passwords, usernames, anything that you have done on the computer, every single keystroke. People don't understand that. Mm -hmm. Like I remember being told when I worked at my last job that we literally record every button you press. Mm -hmm. All day, all the time. Every button you press on the keyboard, we record. So be mindful of what you're doing and know that we saw it. Mm. And people don't really get that that's a thing. Yeah. That literally, yeah, okay, just because the black dot showed up when you typed your password in doesn't mean that there's not something somewhere that knows what you're typing it in. Right. It's, it's the backup is where it gets really worrisome for people who don't know the in-depth parts of it. I mean, it's worrisome regardless, but the people who, again, like myself, who are more of a generic consumer, if you have that backup on your computer, that's where you can really start to lose information. You want to talk about identity theft, the whole nine, that's, that's where you really get in trouble. Mm hmm and the list of affected laptops is mo mostly geared towards like uh, businesses. So like the elite books and pro books and uh, those type of the, the, that laptop line is geared toward like high volume business uh, where they buy a whole bunch of computers to use for work. Um, so it, a lot of people are typing in all kinds of sensitive information while they're working that that's company. Uh, confidential so it could be recording all kinds of crazy stuff so if someone gets access to that could be releasing some confidential information that the company might not want to be releasing that that includes access to like certain systems where they're a uh, password protected that people might not want to get that make that public that's why i got your plex password or <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about the business part. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And yeah, and that's on the business thing, not to mention that if it's a business laptop, people spend 40 hours plus yeah. a week yep. on those laptops. And your login session could be 10 hours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people, I know there have been like some websites allow you to go on um, like personal sites like Facebook or mm -hmm. right. YouTube or Reddit or whatever. And um, if using this, they, if it's if your company backs it up and then your company system gets compromised, the next thing you know, your Facebook credentials are compromised or your email, your personal email or something. So it could be far reaching if um, if this is something that impacts your laptop. So and also not to mention with those backup services, some of these are older laptops. 
so they've been around for a while and i don't i i'm not 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 sure how long this has been around for i think it's a relatively recent being this year um after a certain version um the developer left the logging feature on by accident um i think that was how that originally happened i mean i'm looking at this list right here and there's there's a lot of different models on here so it could have gone back maybe a couple versions even which is surprising because, I mean, there could be a lot of data floating around out there just freeform. So be careful where you're backing up to and uh, make sure that you're aware of your log files. Yeah. <laughs> update your driver. Update your, yeah, for sure. Because they, they said that, yeah, they said they were going to release a fix. And I'll include the list of the laptops with the article in the show notes as well. So people can check if they're viewing it through um, the main link. Just to think, eight years ago, my only worry about having people mess with my Facebook was me not logging out while people played Peggle and I went to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I have an HP, I might just, everyone just might take it anyway. Well, they know your secret to Peggle. Oh, <laughs> they have all their keystrokes. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. What a world we live in with mm. hackings and everything. And also, um, on a very similar note, there was the ransomware. Did you guys hear about that this week? The, I mean, you probably how have you had not heard about it if you've watched the news or anything. Right. But it's like one of the what largest. What if I didn't hear about it? Then it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you didn't hear about it, it's probably one of the largest ransomware attacks to ever happen. Yeah, more wide scale. So there's ransom attacks have been uh, widespread. Start like for a fairly long time, but this one has made uh, bigger news because how of how rapidly it spreads uh, once it gets to a network. So typically, a ransom attack just gets one computer and then knock uh, takes that one out and asks for uh, some form of payment, typically Bitcoin, uh, to unlock your files so that you can use the computer again. But this one is is special because. It uh, once it gets to uh, a computer, um, it can infect any computer located on a network. So uh, the news when the initially came out, um, there's a lot of attacks in uh, Britain's health network. Uh, the UK's health network um, got infected, and literally every computer um, in that uh, health network uh, was infected, and they had to reschedule surgeries. And they couldn't perform certain procedures because of this, and they had to shut down the entire networks for to stop it from spreading. So it's fairly serious. Um, and for those of you out there who don't know the difference between ransomware and your your standard Trojan or malware, um, ransomware is something that you basically you'll get it through like an email or something that you think is addressed to you. It's kind of a lot of times hackers will use something that's like addressed to. I, I personally, I work for a major university in the region, and I saw one come through. It was addressed. It said, "Oh, you know, everybody in this university." And it would cite, you have to download this file. So the person downloaded this file was a professor at the time. Downloaded the file, it locks your computer basically up and basically you lose all your personal information unless you send a, a given amount of money to whoever the hack group is. I mean, obviously it's, it's not, they're not telling you who they are. It's like an encrypted place you have to send it. That's why everyone was citing the Bitcoin. And in this particular attack, it was, they're asking for 600 bucks according to this uh, <laughs> screenshot here. And that's a lot of money. So, I mean, I, I personally saw professors like brought to tears when they lost all their personal photos and things on their computers and stuff like that. So 
you have to be aware of ransomware. And the reason these po- these attacks are becoming more and more popular because people are actually paying them, right? Because right. they don't know what else to do. So they're like, uh, this is fine. We're just going to pay you. And peop- then the hackers are seeing all this money coming. It's like, oh, sure. Let's, right. let's develop some more. Let's find some new attacks and, and spread this out because everyone's making money on this. And the ones I saw that predated Bitcoin were actually just straight up credit cards. So once you actually gave them your credit card information, they had access to your whole account. Yeah. Bitcoin, I mean, you, you might run in a little gray area there. You have a little little buffer, but either way, it's not a good situation to be in. And also, um, a lot of these ransomware attacks ask explicitly for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And last time I checked, I don't think my grandmother knows how to get Bitcoin. So <laughs> she's going she's to have a problem. Yeah. A lot of, not, many people, not many people know how to get Bitcoin. Right. It, it's a very like right. obscure thing that some like I would think, say a good number of people don't even know what Bitcoin really is. Right. How to get it? Where right. to get it? I have no idea what it is or how to get it. I mean, I yeah. I know what it is. I heard of it in the news, maybe. Yeah, but. no idea how to get it, where to go to get it, who right. to talk to to get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it's expensive too. I think one Bitcoin's like six hundred, seven hundred dollars or something like that mm-hmm. in U.S. currency. Yeah. It's expensive. That's dumb. Is, is it worth that much now? Last time I checked, it was like two fifty. It dropped. <laughs> Should have invested. Should have, man. I think at one point it was at a thousand dollars, and then it dropped yeah. way down to like two hundred. Right. It is back up, and then it's 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 on the rise again. I think probably it's because of this. Up. Yeah, probably because <laughs> it's all the ransom, all the ransomware is going. Holy it's crap! Some action. Um, <laughs> one Bitcoin right now is eighteen hundred dollars. Wow. What? Okay. Jeez. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. So, All right. So real quick, I was actually going to go into a. <laughs> what originally came out, the guy of the this early, early, early days of Bitcoin, some guy uh, was really into mining it, and this was back in the time when you can really like quickly mine stuff because it really didn't take that long. Um, and he ordered pizza. The pizza guy came, <laughs> yeah. and he paid him in fifty Bitcoin mm. for one pizza. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to those Bitcoin. <laughs> Hold on to that Bitcoin because they might be worth some money. So I was actually going to ask you to uh, Eli Five what it is, but you went into it already. You said you already went into. It, for those of you who don't know, so it, it, according to this article, it was stopped by accident. What to do? Try and give someone like me who really doesn't even barely is following what we're what's going on right here. I actually got a good understanding by listening to you guys. I did a little bit of research myself, but got a good idea of what this really is and what it could mean. What is a way to avoid stop, reverse, anything like that, things like this, without paying $1,800 per per Bitcoin? To begin with, you got to look out for suspicious emails to whatever your work account is or any major account you're using. If if you think it's like a personally addressed something, but there's an attachment, something shady, .exe, usually. (laughs) You got to be aware of those. And the second step... um, to the dismay of many HP users is to have regular backups of your computer. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. so even though you're risking your key logs getting out. System um, restore points. <laughs> yes. Um, all you really have to do is store a copy, either it's on an external hard drive or something locally, um, of just a backup. And then when this ransomware hits, just restore the backup and it goes away. Yeah. And so, if, you, if you haven't been hit yet, uh, the way to avoid it is to download the latest patch uh, for Windows. So this attack leverages a vulnerability that was patched back in March. So if you have uh, the March update or later, then you're safe uh, from uh, getting hit with this, this attack. And uh, speaking of updates for operating systems, Microsoft has 
uh, wiped out the dust on the update servers for Windows XP <laughs> and released updates uh, for that uh, operating system, even though it hasn't been supported for like two or three years now, uh, because it was also vulnerable. So to reduce the amount of computers available for uh, this attack, um, they released a patch for XP. The same also goes out to all my homies using Windows Server 2003. <laughs> 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 they fixed that one also. So they, they, it's they fixed basically the like their top operating systems going all the way back for the last 16, 15, like 15 years. So you mean they didn't patch Windows me? No. Millennium Edition, they didn't fix that yet? Come on. I think if you're running me or 95 or 98, you've got more than those types of issues. Your computer's been locked for a long time. At least you can run Doom, though. <laughs> but it's good to see that um, also, like, that it's getting patched and fixed and it was fixed correctly. But the big problem here is that it's something that nobody's talked about on this yet, is that the problem with this is that it stemmed from software stolen from the NSA using a known exploit that they had on those operating systems. So the when that NSA leak that came out, I think a month ago or so, um, with all of their hacking tools they used on various governments or to perform espionage on people, um, this exploit was included in that and someone had taken it and weaponized it into this ransomware. So. That is something that we hadn't brought up about this, and I think we should definitely talk about this. Like, at what point, if you have an exploit, do you disclose that to the company to get it fixed? Because some of these are old exploits, 2003, right? XP. You kind of have to comb through the WikiLeaks at this point. It seems like whatever's you have to keep up to date on it. Honestly, it's up to Microsoft. It should be up to Microsoft. They should be held accountable for this because this is their product technically, and they make bank off it. So. Mm -hmm. And they fixed it in a timely manner, right. which is good. But um, like that's what I was going to say. If if it puts an interesting like dilemma on the on the NSA and other companies trying to perform espionage, at what point do you tell the software company that hey, we we use this to get people um, to, to steal their data because we need to get in touch with them. Uh, we don't need it anymore. Have a fix. Um, this is what we did. Like at what point do you? responsibly disclose this to the company because in this case they didn't and it leaked and now we have a problem because of it does anybody have any thoughts on that i feel like they're just trying to run around putting fires out at this point i mean because it, it's not just the nsa necessarily that can leak this information you know the chinese and the russian governments have their own versions of the nsa that can also exploit hacks that could get loose on the internet and anybody can you know weaponize their own accord basically <laughs> this is so, where those dudes on Temple's campus with cardboard signs of government theories and conspiracies start to make a little more sense, I think. Oh, I'm glad you saw me now. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, it's something that is like the government has going, even going back to the net neutrality, they tried to say like with the San Bernardino attacks, they wanted the back door installed on their phones. Yeah, right. Um, the government has proven time and time again, and this is case in point, that they can't be trusted with backdoors. They can't be trusted with exploits. Yeah, absolutely. Because the second this gets out, it gets weaponized by the hacker known as 4chan or by this team here or by whatever. <laughs> this is the, it's called WannaCryptor 2.0 or WannaCry or, or WCry. 
but like they they can't be trusted and they need to prove that they can responsibly create software or they can responsibly disclose bugs that they're done with before they get leaked like did you guys um, I know you guys use Notepad++ for um, taking notes and stuff, but did you see like, and when you open it up, you'll get the, the release notes for a, an update or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. Their latest one was um, fixed FBI NSA leak or something like that, where the <laughs> FBI tools got leaked. They like announced it in their change log. It's like, oh, fix the stuff that the FBI broke. <laughs> so, oh yeah, goes back to what I said on the net neutrality thing. It's a, why aren't they taking these dudes, paying them an incredible amount of money? So the second we don't need this service anymore, we cover it up. We don't sit, we don't use it once and go, okay, well, uh, I guess we'll hang on to this for the next time we need it. Then it gets leaked and it gets weaponized. We'll get that dude who weaponized it in 13 seconds to come work for you to show you how to maybe patch it, but give you access to, I don't know how crazy that sounds, but like get somebody somewhere to help you spy on people <laughs> while not making the entire world vulnerable to it at the same time from anybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. If you want to be the guys who are spying on us, then make sure you're the only ones who are doing it. I guess I don't love that you're spying on me, but I know you are. So it's like, at least make it so just you are and you can get the information, not so, Joe Schmo down the street and his, uh, dark dungeon everybody's information. <laughs> so essentially allow espionage to confound itself. Is that <laughs> and that isn't that is an argument, I guess that's that's what the government goes with pretty often, seems like. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Yeah. As evidenced by this. Because apparently they can they can they have proven that they can't responsibly disclose. Right. So and a lot of companies have these bug bounties out too. Um, where if you find something and disclose it to them. Um, I think the general accepted time period is three months to get the fix implemented. And um, if they can do that, then they disclose what the bug is. But now we have this known exploit. The fix is out there and people are trying, are left scrambling to update their software. Just like the, it's the only thing is that like, if it's responsibly disclosed, like the one that happened with, um, what's his, there's the, the guy who did all the last pass, um, hacks, um, and he found a big Microsoft bug. Do you know the name of that no, person? I, don't, I, don't I forget his name. Um, I'd have to look it up, but um, he he's known for that. Like he responsibly discloses this to companies he knows will fix it. And you've seen cases where they have and they haven't. Then it goes live, which is yeah. fine. But in this case, it can spiral out of control, and in this case, get used against people. So um, basically. As uh, lessons learned, just make sure you run regular backups. Um, if you see ransomware, don't pay it. Um, and just be aware of what emails you're opening and what you're doing on uh, either your various chat clients or any way someone can reach out to you. It's the only way you can really protect yourself from this kind of a, from this kind of thing. Right. Was it that guy? No, it wasn't that guy. Hmm. Try to find it quickly for us, but mm -hmm. uh, no worries. Um, but. Yeah, so I, that's the only way that you can really save yourself from this kind of a thing. Yeah, and um, I think that heavy first segment brings us <laughs> brings us into our first break. That sounds so, good. First and only break. So um, I guess we'll be back in a few minutes.
welcome back to Industry 4.0. Um, I'm going to give us over to Matt Slavin to play us out with the new Home Hub feature on Microsoft Windows 10. Um, well, with Windows 10, they just they unveiled that new Home Hub feature, um, which is going to bring smart home functionality to Windows 10 devices. So kind of how the Amazon Echo and the Google Home work, this would be able to control um, like your smart home devices and like your Philips Hue bulbs and um, tap into being able to provide you like ingredients for cooking, to-do lists, the weather, stuff like that. So this is Windows and Microsoft's entry into this market. Yeah, it's a smart move too because at this point Amazon has, was really the first to the uh, game with this type of device and they've they've sold so many devices that it's a newcomer coming to um, the space is kind of hard to compete so it's really I think it's a really smart move for uh, Windows to put this in every single Windows 10 PC that's out there because that's you're you don't you're not requiring people to buy brand new um, devices they, they could just use the same stuff that they already have they just say uh, talk to their computer to control their stuff at home or ask questions so I think this is a really smart move on their part to get people to adopt it and start using it um, yeah. I mean, it seems like Microsoft already has some basic infrastructure built in here with the Kinect and the Xbox One. I mean, it seems like they've already been messing with, you know, voice recognition technology. It seems like it'll build in pretty efficiently that way if they can expand it to the Xbox somehow. Well, they're all running Windows 10 at this point. Right. So they're all the new Xboxes, they're running the same exact code base as actual PCs. So expanding it to that platform wouldn't be that hard. And like you said, how it goes to all Windows... 10 PCs out there with the latest update. This is arguably the cheapest entry into the market because yeah. it's going immediately to everybody who already has a PC with Windows 10. Yeah. So this is a way for anybody who didn't want to jump at the Amazon Echo or the Google Home for the cost to add this just dedicated piece of hardware in their house just for that purpose. This is your PC and now it's something you can leverage for your smart home. So I, I don't know if you guys know this uh, specifically. I mean, at, at at my house we have the Amazon Echo, but we don't necessarily use it to its fullest potential because we we're not like all smart homed out. Mm -hmm. Are there major differences between what already exists on the market and what Windows is introducing, or is it really just dependent on what you have in your home? Like what what, what is really going to affect it? Are they doing the same thing, just different levels, different companies, or is there major differences between the two? Short answer: No. There is no difference between them, but the the long the more long form answer would be that this is their own twist on it. It uses not the Amazon Echo Assistant that I'm whose name I'm not going to utter on air, or the Google Home, but it uses Cortana. So this is something that Windows 10 users are already familiar with in terms of being able to search on their Windows PC or look for weather or do web searches from voice. Um, now it's just being expanded. And it's even going to offer on the website they listed that it's going to have an always-on splash screen for things like to-do lists, uh, calendar information for what they called as, for example, like a kitchen PC. And I don't know mm -hmm. many people who have a kitchen computer. But that being said, it introduces the, the opportunity to have a screen in your kitchen for helping you cook or something like that, which mm -hmm. is... Kind of now what Amazon is jumping into with their new Echo look. 
because nope. they ha don't have enough different types of assistants at this point. <laughs> First, they had the they had the what well, was the look was the the closet one. It's the show that I was thinking of with the screen yeah. that they that they just made. Yeah. So, I think it shows promise in terms of Microsoft itself because I, I know Irvin was showing us uh, before we started the show. He was showing us a video of, of a holographic version of uh, Cortana from the Halo series. And I know that Microsoft already has the HoloLens, and they're already basically the most heavily invested corporation in augmented reality. And if, you, if you're going to build off of or build into augmented reality platforms, having heads-up displays all over your house, like that maybe, you know, just in your glasses or something like that, contacts on some piece of eyewear, you could easily put an assistant in that can just kind of come in almost, I don't know, I don't know if it'd be weird, but to have some kind of in-person interaction with you as you go about your daily chores, daily life. Yeah, that actually um, brings up an interesting kind of twist on the smart assistant technology that I hadn't really thought of until you just said that. There's a whole generation of people who grew up playing the Halo series, and I'm sure everybody knows who Cortana is and what she looks like, who's played that. And this is the only assistant to have a face. Right. So it's like very familiar with people and almost like a sense of nostalgia. So I'm wondering if this has the potential to catch on more so because people just in human nature identify better with a face to a voice. So that's like that's a very interesting take on that. So I'm I'm wondering if that could if we could see Cortana like pass the echo. I sincerely hope Microsoft goes in that direction. <laughs> Fun fact about Cortana. Yes. The woman who does Cortana in the Halo series also is the most recent uh, person to voice Princess Peach, who doesn't actually say anything in video games, but no does all the sound effects and voices for Princess Peach. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so this Fun is, fact. That's, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> it's a ubiquitous voice done. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that. But, um, but yeah, I think that that's going to be an interesting way. And I, for the love of everything, I do hope they introduce a physical version right. of like like the hologram that walks out and talks to you when you're... Like, I would, like, I don't, Google, they don't have to introduce a piece of hardware, but I would totally buy, like, a stand that Cortana would walk out on whenever I did a Cortana key, like, question. Absolutely. Like, I 100% agree. <laughs> that's all my own. That's, like, the things that we would find awesome that the generation right before us, that's the stuff that would start freaking them out and, like, right. want to move to lob cabins in the woods by themselves. Like, that's yeah. what, when you see movies and, like, old people freak out at technology, that's exactly what would happen. That's <laughs> When I said sell my home, I said sell my Google home. That's what I meant, not my actual house. <laughs> These names have it so confusing now. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see now that we have that, and I think now we're up to what six assistants now, six different voice assistants. We have Cortana, Home, Echo, uh, Bixby, and um, there's 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 got I think there's another one that I'm not thinking of at the moment. But yeah, there's Ask Jeeves. I don't know. There's a lot of different <laughs> voice assistants out there. So I think it'll be interesting to see like where that goes. So, real quick before we move on, I have a question. I don't know if you guys know, and I don't need you to name all the different companies or, or whoever makes them, but what at the moment is covered as far as what we would consider smart home technology? I've seen commercials for Verizon Home where you can lock your door when you're away from home or locked, whatever, and like there's a camera there so you can see remotely who's coming in and out. And I know I've seen like you can dim your lights and things like that with different apps or what have you. What exactly is available? Like how smart can you make your home right now? <laughs> You're pointing at me because <laughs> I've actually replaced a couple uh, switches in my house and a couple of lights uh, uh, that are controlled by 
my Google Home, um, you could pretty much automate um, almost everything that you have in your house. Uh, but you do have to mix. Like, there's no one company that'll provide you with everything um, that's that that controls everything. Uh, so there's typically a, like a hub that'll act as like an access point for all the stuff to talk to that hub, and then that hub will communicate with whatever smart home assistant that you have. Um, so the biggest competitor in that hub space where they provide that hub is uh, Smart Things, which was bought by Samsung recently. Um, so smart things have has all the radios and all this tech built into it that lets it communicate between um, these different devices and manufacturers. And what it lets you do is like set up scenarios uh, based on time of day or certain people being in the house and lets you control do actions like group of actions. So let's say um, it keeps track of uh, via Bluetooth of your phone if it senses it's nearby so it can detect. You can define, okay, every time you see my phone, turn on the lights in the living room if it's past sunset, right? So if the sun down, right? Because you yeah, don't want that's... the lights to turn on when it's bright outside. There's no point, right? So you can go that granule and define when certain events happen, do certain things. And that hub will allow you to communicate. So if you have Phyllis Hue lights in your house or if you have a different manufacturer for your light switches or if you have your uh, smart ther thermostat nest it lets all those services communicate with each other because by default they don't they just talk to uh, their app that you might have on your phone this all combines it into one single app and then you can control everything within that one app so i don't want to get into your personal finances <laughs> here but like how how expensive is it really to upgrade your home to a smart home and yeah. That being said, how beneficial is it? What are the real benefits to it besides this is really cool? Right now, it's the only benefit is this is really cool. I don't okay. really... It's really. I'm thinking about doing it just based on you describing <laughs> it just now, but it's like... I mean, it's fun. The only thing that I wouldn't trust right now this my smart home to do is locks. Because they're a bake. Okay. There's like, I just wouldn't trust that to rely on any hacks or anything at this point. I know it's easy to pick locks. If you just get a lock and just start picking it, but like that, um, if someone like, hack came out for one of these smart locks, you just and anyone can get to any home that has that lock, it just wouldn't feel safe. So at that point, but everything else, I would you could do uh, pretty much everything. You can get pretty cheap lights at this point, where it's like the individual bulb. So like yeah. you wouldn't require you to switch out every every plug or every switch in your house. You just do individual bulbs or like bulbs that, that communicate with one hub because uh, of these hubs that can talk to like 100, 150 bulbs yeah. at the same time. So they can control them individually based on uh, you can define. Okay. has the bridge. LifeX has. Yeah. LifeX is the individual, I believe, right? Yeah, LifeX doesn't need a hub. It actually has Wi-Fi and con connects directly to your, um, directly to your Wi-Fi yeah. hotspot. So some of them are Wi-Fi and some of them are Bluetooth. Yeah, so and some of them are question, actually yeah. different. All yeah. that different, completely different from Wi-Fi or Bluetooth called yeah. Zigbee, uh, uh, which is runs on the same type of frequency, but it's separate network. And, 
I think uh, for those of us who aren't as familiar with the smart home setups yet, I think a good app to familiarize yourself with just with basic scripting would be the IFTTT app. And Irvin, I think you could fill us in a little more on that as you're the one who introduced me to that. That app, if this thing, oh man, I love that app. Right? I've got that for Twitter. I've got that for Pushbullet. I've got that for... Like, yeah, that's that's like auto, so like right. it's not about automating the home; it's about automating your entire life. So you can, uh, if this and that will let let you program uh, like it's in the name. So if uh, something happens, then do X. So you can define whatever you want it to do. So let's say every time I post to Facebook, post that same thing to Twitter, or every time I post to Twitter, save that in a spreadsheet in a Google Doc. So it's safe forever with a link and exactly uh, so you can have a backup of it i use it to update my profile pictures across the various <laughs> mm-hmm. uh social media stuff so if i update That's it on good. facebook it spreads it to twitter and instagram yeah and it all, changes all it all everywhere yeah. yeah yeah all at one time and then if i upload a photo to instagram it will share it to facebook mm-hmm. and i know you can do that through, through facebook but i just wanted to do it through instagram just because and then <laughs> if you have like android you can even get more granular with it with um, you can have it so when I get to work it mutes my phone when I leave work it unmutes it um, stuff like that if it's past like 11 p.m. it puts it completely on mute so I don't get any calls and I'm trying to fall asleep or something like that that's brilliant um, oh, it's, and you it's can, worth checking out and going back on what you were saying about the smart home it's about how it's in the era where there's like a lot of it is nice to haves and it's not yeah. like super necessary um, there have been occasions where I've like it's granted this is still very much so like a first world problem but like enter a room and like i'm i'm doing like laundry or something and i forget to turn the lights on in my bedroom and i'm bringing the laundry back up and right. like, it's nice to just call out and have yeah, my lights turn on for me so i don't like trip and fall trying to put the laundry down over something or um it's there are conveniences that are there and there's even some smart home devices you didn't talk about like there's um like smart kitchen appliances there's smart uh, water sprinkler systems. There's mm-hmm. smart, um, like you said, door locks. There's even smart blinds, so you can I've have the those. blinds open and down on yourself. It's pretty cool. So um, I mean, it's it's there's a lot, and you can it's kind of spend what you want, like smart it up as much as you want to. Yeah. So okay, automate all the things. I I I don't intend to to go into that realm at all. So I think it's it's interesting. To really- <laughs> Yeah. Well, personally, what, what are your qualms for not going in just the price? No, I, I just because I I've never had an issue to this point doing anything <laughs> old school, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's <laughs> I, I mean, even as something as simple as like I don't. It's insane to me that backup cameras are relied on so heavily in cars because I've never ha- I've never backed into anything except one time when I shouldn't have been driving in the first place. Like, <laughs> but but have you personally had a backup camera? No. Okay. Once you have so it. Once you but have that's what it. I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you know, okay, it was, it, was in, it was in my rental car last week and I didn't use it on purpose. Oh, I got you. I got <laughs> to you. To be fair. But yeah, like, no, I, like I went out of my way to <laughs> not use it but I backed up like twice the whole time. So yeah. like it's yeah. for me it's Almost with everything, regardless of of what we're talking about, like it's if it's if I'm perfectly fine doing it the way that I've been doing it, I don't need to do it a new way. Yeah. I didn't right. need a smartphone until I got one, and now if I didn't have one, I'd probably just go insane. Right. Yeah. Same idea. Like it's it's right now. That's why I was asking mainly. Like, is it just really cool and super convenient, mm-hmm. or are there like huge benefits too? I mean, obviously, some of the benefits are are so, so simple, like. I forgot to turn the lights on and I don't want to trip and fall because I know 
my room is a mess, so I call out, hey, turn my lights on, cool, it's on. That is a benefit, whether it's a financial benefit or not, that is a benefit to having, and it's just not something that I've run into so often that I feel like I'm going to rush to make a change on. It's also not my home. So yeah, I, I feel you on that that stance exactly. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> and like the, the, the good part about it is, to branch off of what you were saying, um, is that some people don't want to buy into all this stuff, is that you can buy in as deep as you want, or you can buy in as not like as shallow as you want. Like you yeah. can, you don't have to, if you're going to do a smart home, you don't have to go all in. Like right. You don't have to do everything. You can yeah. stop at the lights or you can stop at... <laughs> That's where I stopped. Step by step. <laughs> yeah. Like start off like small yeah. and like just buy a couple bulbs here and there see if they... Or even in the case of the Home Hub, you start yeah. off having an assistant that organizes your to-do list in your calendar and right. offers you weather recipes, has an always on screen, etc. Yeah. Like that's, that's a start. And it's kind of like a way to wean people into what will probably be the accepted standard or standard future of the smart home, which I think is once we get the security down on mm. it, it will this, yeah. it will be the standard of homes kind of in the same way that Yeah. Yeah, we want to be will be used to like just talking to their home. They they just expect to like if you say something you'll respect you'll get an answer back. If you ask it a question it's gonna know how to answer that. Um, I use my Google home when I'm like in the kitchen like trying to cook something and I'm out of it. The best feature that I had, if I'm out of something, I'll just ask the uh, Google Home, like, what's the replacement for X ingredient, right? And it'd go out and, like, give you an answer. You don't, then you, if you go ahead and find that in your cabinets and you're uh, good, you don't have to go out and <laughs> shop and stuff. So it's like, you're, people are, they're getting people used to, like, talking to their home, like, they're another, they're part of the family, like, they're just, be more familiar with it like trying to get levels of comfort yeah reminds me of numerous halloween episodes of the simpsons is what it reminds me of (laughs) i'm not gonna lie to you it's an episode of mr robot too where they hack the one the one lady smart home i believe and yeah that's that's kick her out they force her out almost i think that's a little scary actually (laughs) right that's the other side of it because they're not very secure right now right but wireless in general (laughs) i i mostly use it right now just to automate things so I automate, like I have it to turn on all the lights downstairs um, when the sun goes down. So I don't have to get up <laughs> when it gets too dark. It just makes people, it's just getting to the point where it's just, we're getting so lazy that we don't want to get up and turn the lights on. But it's convenient. <laughs> but to be fair, I mean, there's been so many times where I'm sitting with my dad. He's on his iPad. I'm like half falling asleep. Philly's game just started at 7 o'clock, and at mm-hmm. 8.30, it's like pitch black in our living yeah. room, and neither one of us wants to move. <laughs> if I had it set up where the lights would just automatically turn on, I'd be I, my eyes would be way less strained. <laughs> might save millions in uh, fees to go to the doctor. Like, I'd say, I'm, you know, it's, it, could, it could be, it could oh. be poten- you know, potentially, it could be a good money saver. Hey, man, we're just trying to get to that point where, like, the people in Wally, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, yes. but it's yeah. just kind of they float around the chairs. Yeah. <laughs> right. we, we, I'll take that. We're getting the headset, we're getting that VR headset. <laughs> Just chill back. Like I was watching Netflix earlier in VR. It's like, oh, yep. Yeah, actually, getting to that point. Do you want to describe that experience for us? <laughs> I mean, that's the first time I've heard that. Honestly, the first time we've heard somebody watching Netflix in VR, just spending the time to do it. Yeah, so I got a Gear VR headset with uh, the Galaxy S8, and then I tried Netflix today just to watch like a movie or something. So I pulled it up. And you're like sitting on this virtual couch, and this giant screen. I don't know what equivalent it is. It's like over a hundred inch screen in front of you. With just the Netflix interface, or you're just opening up as I just open open up a show, and it started playing, and it dimmed all the lights, and it really felt like I was sitting in uh, a, a 
a living room with a giant screen in front of me. Well, you were sitting, sitting in your living room, weren't you? Well, I was sitting in my living room, <laughs> sitting in a virtual <laughs> living room at the same time. Yes. But that living room, the virtual one, looked a lot nicer than my actual <laughs> living room. <laughs> the cool thing with, um, with all these assistants, too, is that we're getting to the point where working with a computer is becoming like conversational. Right. Not yeah. To, not to derail from the VR talk, but it's. I remember when I had to do like Google searches, you had to like to memorize this own like unique form of syntax to yeah. get yeah. what you were looking for. Oh, now yeah. I'm just like, now I'm just like, name me some cool bars near me, or like give me something I want. And then yeah, it's like, you, oh, you, you talk. You, it's starting Gas to come like you're starting to yeah. talk <laughs> to uh, like a person. Like they're not. These things aren't going to take off if my mom has to memorize all these commands to get things that she wants. Like. You, I just just tell her to like, hey, just talk to her like you would, like ask her a question like you would me, right? And then it, more than likely, ninety nine percent of the time, it's going to give you an answer back that's going to be useful to you. So the really, really, that's an important key to becoming conversational uh, devices. And to branch off of that, um, my aunt just upgraded her PC to a Windows ten PC, mm-hmm. and I introduced her to Cortana, and yeah. she was like why wasn't this around 10 years ago she's, this is awesome like i was right. i asked she was like how do i uninstall this program and i was like ask your computer like push the cortana button and she like asked and then it brought up the uninstall page and yeah and she was just like this is great this is so cool and like it, to see like people who are like not as tech savvy like experience that stuff for like the first time through conversation right is something that's like gonna be pretty cool and it's nice to know that it's getting easier for people to work with a computer. Yeah. 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 My dad loves his uh his uh Amazon Echo. Mm-hmm. Uh my nephew who is uh not even 2 yet also loves the Amazon Echo. <laughs> but he can't say its name. So he just goes S S S <laughs> X. He gets real close to it and just yells at it because he hears us say the name all the time. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's kind of fun. like He's going to grow up with that and not know anything different no, and, like, yeah. be fed up with it. And, like, five years ago, Stupid Echo would even work, man. It's just dumb. And my dad will still be blown away by it in five years. Yeah. Like, yeah. The people who are growing up with it are going to be very, like, jaded to it or figure yeah. it out and, like, bend it to their will very quickly. Kind of like how- yeah, Back in my day, we had the Echo Generation 1. <laughs> my dad's favorite thing is just asking it the weather every day. When I, when I say, like, when I'm really just thinking out loud and I'm like, Ah, dude, is it gonna be cold outside? And I just hear downstairs. Uh, hey, what's the weather outside? <laughs> did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you. <laughs> oh. the smart homes are coming, and mm-hmm. it's going yeah. to come seventeen assistants at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's fighting for the best one. And speaking of large fights to be the best. We have Facebook and Snapchat, who uh, Snapchat just recently had its IPO. So that was a few months ago, I think. And yeah. now after they, now that they've kind of been in the market for a few months to kind of see how they pan out, they're not doing so well. And that's very similar to how their, their, their biggest competitor, Facebook, did. Um, what do you guys think in terms of Snapchat's potential to bounce back? Do you think this is going to be like they're just kind of, they got lightning in a bottle with what they had first and they're going to kind of burn out after someone else takes it because they're not innovating or 
I think guys? I think the innovations there. I mean, I, I see them releasing new features all the time. I mean, we were just talking earlier about their, their you know the sticker features. How you can now you can add them to the actual movement in the videos, and then you can actually erase parts with like a stamp tool similar to Photoshop. Mm-hmm. I think they're always adding new features. The innovations there. The problem is like they don't have the they don't have the network that Facebook had to to begin with. You know, what yeah. I mean, like they they. They, they had to come in and they shut out Vine, basically. Like, they already came into a market that already had... Well, I mean, I guess you can say that Facebook did the same thing with MySpace, right? But Vine was a little too similar to what their current product already is. So it's like, all right, we've already had web chats in the form of, like, a couple second-long videos, right? We've already been sending them out. We've already had like little comedy skits built off of them and stuff like that. So it's like... They have the whole the whole temporary aspect where it erases itself, but honestly, to me, it's a pain in the ass when you're trying to read a text. Somebody texts you through that, and you're like, "What the hell did they just say?" Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was trying to go back and see what they said. He's reading something the next day. He's like, "I don't remember what I said to that person." <laughs> it can be as inconvenient as it is convenient, but I mean, in terms of scope, Facebook has Instagram. I mean, they they use Instagram as its competition to Snapchat. Now they yeah. threw up the stories on that, and now Facebook itself has native stories. So yeah. you just throw up stories everywhere except for Snapchat, and then they're just trying to shut them out. So I, I can definitely see why the stock took a hit. But in terms of innovation, they're still ahead of the game, way ahead of Facebook and you know and Instagram. The tough part for me is that, like, it, of course I, I enjoy Snapchat for what it is, but like you said, I mean, Instagram saw what they did and went, well, we're bigger, we're going to take your idea. Mm-hmm. And Facebook went, well, we're bigger than both of you, so we're going to take your idea as right. well. And we're going to let you do, we're going to tell you it's live, so that makes you feel cooler and more important. <laughs> like, that was a big deal for them. Literally, the word live was a huge deal for them, even though oh, yeah. it's all technically live when it happens. But, like, the, the fact that I can watch you live on Facebook is is a big deal to people. And I think the biggest difference is that there was less competition when Facebook went live like this. Right. So, when then they, like we said, yeah, they took a dip at first, but they were able to bounce back because they were. It was them and, like you said, MySpace, and they were just the bigger dog at the time. Right. It seems like Snapchat Snapchat took a similar pathway or avenue that the same – it's similar to what Twitter had. Uh, excuse me. I'm fumbling here. <laughs> but when Twitter went public, like they had a similar IPO and it kind of took a dip because Twitter's kind of – it's always been the same thing. It's just like a Facebook status in a separate entity. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now if, if Facebook and Instagram can use the Snap Stories – put it in their own platform, then what do you need Snapchat for? You know I mean, it's kind of, if it's all in one, why go outside? I'm I mean, assuming they could easily get geotags and take care of that. I'm assuming they could easily do filters on Facebook and Instagram and take care. I mean, they already have some filters, but like yeah. having bunny ears appear on your head can't be that hard. I'm sure they don't have <laughs> proprietary licensing on that. Like, yeah. How yeah. far can you innovate the selfie? <laughs> that's, that is the question. That's the big thing. And yeah. like Snapchat has... Um, to play devil's advocate, um, one of the most coveted and simultaneously the most volatile markets of uh, and user base of mm-hmm. any product. Um, they have the millennials and the younger people, and the, usually where they go, that's where the success goes. And when you look at that, it's Snapchat did really well, and then they had their IPO, and now they're not doing so good, but. When you look at what Instagram did, the second that happened, so many people moved straight to Instagram right as they rolled out a similar feature. No. So, like, they're kind of dealing with the incredibly volatile market. Right. And the, and the thing is, like, the problem is it isn't getting users because they have plenty of users, both Snapchat and Instagram. Is it's how to monetize those users? So the the reason that their stock took a such a big hit 
when they announced their earnings is because in one quarter they lost two billion dollars they literally haven't made any money snapchat so they need to figure out some kind of ad platform that they can deploy to uh their app that can uh, monetize uh, the people uh, using it because it's got to be a free service you're not going to have expect uh, people start paying to use snapchat so you're going to have to figure out a way uh, like Facebook did, because Facebook had the same issue. So uh, this uh, article in the LA Times um, is listing a comparison to Facebook. So Facebook, early in the days uh, when they uh, came out for their IPO, everyone was uh, telling them, look, when are you going to figure out your mobile app? Because everybody was using the Facebook app um on, on their computer and then they saw a shift to everybody using their on their phone, but they saw that nobody, Facebook wasn't making any money um, on their mobile apps. And eventually Facebook figured out how to make uh, money on their mobile apps. And now Facebook's revenue is like 90% of it's coming from mobile phones and only 10% is coming from actual people using Facebook on the desktop. So Facebook figured it out, so now right. it's up to Snapchat to figure that type, try to bring in money and stop losing billions and billions of dollars a quarter because the uh, Wall Street isn't happy with that when that happens to a company. Well, I, I did notice that, like personally I noticed that Snapchat recently instituted a feature where you, you can auto-play through people's stories and then they throw ads in between yeah, and in you, between can't, them, yeah. you can't really skip. You know yeah. what I mean? So I know that they're trying to generate... Uh, ad revenue through that avenue but I, I also found it interesting like I was thinking about it going back to the Facebook live feature with the way Facebook is dealing with the problems that cause it was they were the first on the scene to do that but at the same time they were also the first on the scene to have hang gliding people kill themselves live and they had they had the Facebook killer right where he went and he shot somebody live mm. <laughs> I mean I, I I would like I would love to know what they're working on on the back end to, to have some kind of delay because really how do, how do you delay all of your users when they want to submit a live video. Have, How do you analyze that video? Yeah, you can't have humans sitting in a computer right. looking at every single live feed that Facebook uh, has on their side at the moment and, and see what's going on and then stop it immediately. Like that's fit impossible. Same uh, thing with live TV though. Yeah. So you, I mean, you can't. It's there long. is typically on live TV now like a thirty second delay. Yeah, and they also delay. have people monitoring yeah. and network people yeah. that monitor well, all the streams. Just, yeah, well, it used to not be live. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it used to not be the delay. It used to be straight up live. Oh yeah, like mm -hmm. people saw the Kennedy assassination live back in the sixties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are still moments. I mean, even as simple as I know, we're talking about death, and it's not comparable, but. Uh, Chase Utley in the 09 All-Star game dropped an F-bomb on TV because during the <laughs> national anthem it was live, the rest mm -hmm. of the game was on a 10-second delay. Mm -hmm. When they did the intros of the players in the national anthem, that was all live, no delay whatsoever, and he let an F-bomb slip <laughs> to the entire crowd. And like even when he did, when they won the World Series in 08, his F-bomb got bleeped on television because it was on a 15-second delay. The right. next year in the All-Star game, it's in New York, and they booed him, and he went boo f you to the whole New York crowd on <laughs> national television because they wanted to have the national anthem be live, and the rest was on delay. Yeah, and Snapchat's unfiltered in that way too, so it comes Ooh. straight from the person. Oh so yeah, even if you do like Snapchat Live or something like that, you're yeah. still going to have right. the same problem. Ooh. So I'm I'm struggling to come up with ways aside from them branching out on something like their spectacles thing they just launched um like ways for them to continue innovating i'm struggling to to come up with is ways. it hardware or is it they're gonna make a snap 
like the goals too. We're gonna improve that product, trying to make it smaller and make it more affordable and get it out to everyone. Or was it just a, a just a experiment at this point? Or is it gonna be an improvement in the app or improvement on their app platform to get uh, more people to join and, and start using it to so they can actually make, start making money on this app? Real quick, what was the, what was that spectacles you were talking about? Um, Snapchat made their they call it the spectacles. It's um a pair of sunglasses that they made. It's a wearable that has two cameras on either side Jesus. of the the lenses, and you just tap a button and then it li- they light up to indicate that they're recording a ten second video in the same way that you see the red the red bar yeah. going around, and um, it records video. And you can even do. I think you can take pictures too. Just do yeah. like a snap. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just a, a wearable they made that they that they had. And it posts directly to your Snapchat as soon as it's done. And like you can't even preview it. You can't put any filters on it. You just press it, and then it immediately after it's recorded. Considering it, all the yeah. privacy issues Google Glass had when they first went live, <laughs> like I, I want to see but how this, this is. Well, this one I lights up. There's an indicator here where. Yeah. Where it's Whew, all right, guys, we're good. Like, <laughs> Spectacle has been out for a couple months now. It, right. it hasn't received as much flack as Google, as Google, Google Glass did. is not oh, even yeah. near. Um, I'm not sure why that is. Maybe Google Glass was too early. People I feel it's the time. It's yeah. just timing. It's timing. like the new generation is just yeah. so accustomed to just constantly being filmed or, or being yeah. photographed. You know, and it's geared toward like under the 25 crowd right. for the spectacles. Google Glass really wasn't, and it's being used by older people who have like. Freaking out by technology spying on them privacy issues. Looking up that in the bathroom. Now net neutrality is like, being swept under the rug. Like people under twenty five <laughs> yeah. don't really care. Like they don't care about that. Like yeah, they, they, they share every single part of their life right, online. Right. Like they don't care. They were There's no links didn't happen. I remember that. They were banned in bars near the like the Silicon Valley area. That girl got punched in the face. Yeah, oh, recording man. that guy. She would like run up to people and be like, "I'm recording." you on Google Glass and then someone hit her in the face at a bar because that's awesome if someone does that with a camera you're it's, it's, right. not, it's not cool no. but like the cool thing with the spectacles that nobody really like sees on it it'll tell you if you look at like a celebrity's feed um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Snapchat he's been experimenting with the spectacles a lot too <laughs> but um, if you rotate your phone it records in a circle, not in a square screen yeah. so you if you rotate the video stays upright and you can like rotate it in like a VR. It's almost like an AR type of thing. Like, it's an interesting, yeah. You you have to look at some people, some public figures like Snapchat. Uh, like you have to really experience it. But it's kind of awesome because let's say you're fo- holding your phone like upright, right? You're looking at a snap. If they are taken with a spectacle and they are looking at something that you want to look at landscape, all you have to do is turn your phone sideways, and it yeah. looks it. You can see everything in landscape That's- now. Stupid. And and it doesn't change the or the distortion. It doesn't distort right. anything because it's a, just a circular video that you're basically your phone is just sitting in and it rotates around that. So you just see that rectangle shape within that circle, and that's all. It's that's just, crazy. Yeah. See, to me, Snapchat's ingenuity comes from what we actually just witnessed right here, which is the fact that the way you learn Snapchat is through asking other people with Snapchat. Yeah. Like, right, <laughs> like yeah. we just saw, yeah. I, I didn't know what the spectacles were until right. Kyle yeah. just asked you what they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like, it's the it's least always... intuitive interface <laughs> right. that you've ever seen. Cause... But in terms of marketing, it's like Tesla. Like I, yeah, I didn't know more, much about Tesla, whereas right. you own a Tesla. So you're right. more likely to tell me so about I, your Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it spreads like how to use stuff. Like, like words, like, 
it, mainly I think it's geared towards like people in school, like in high school now. Mm-hmm. So like, oh look, I found this new feature, and then they go next day go tell everyone, every one of their friends, and it yeah. spreads out at school, and like uh, more and more people use that feature. I know it's definitely out. a hit with college and high school age kids mm-hmm. right now. It's, it's a lot bigger than our population. It's still spreading yeah. to us. It's bled into us. Right. We're teaching each other. <laughs> yeah. How much those things cost? 130 That's well, it? If you, I expected more than that. I think they're cheaper than that, actually. I think they're 100 I think they're only 100 But um, I know for a while they did this promotion. I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but their Twitter account would post a photo of a location, and they wouldn't give you any location information. It would just be a picture of a place. And within 48 hours of that, they the, they had this vending machine that would, like, quote-unquote, drop out of the air almost to that spot. And it would be a vending machine selling spectacles for $40. Mm-hmm. And people would, like, once someone figured out where it was, you'd have lines that were a mile and a half long yeah, of course. for wow. spectacles for that cheap price. Yeah, because you couldn't buy them online. That's the only place for the. Now you can buy them online, but when it first launched, you could not buy them online except for those Which, drop locations. So everybody was waiting, wanted to get their hands on it. They're waiting for that location to pop up and go there and stand in line. You know what sucks for them, though, for Snapchat? The word of mouth probably spread through Twitter or Facebook, not through Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good point. But at the same time, that's a that's a heck of a way to like generate a lot of hype around something that isn't really that cool. Well, yeah, it's, like, like, right. it's I kind like, of find it dangerous, to be honest with you. Yeah, you get people. Yeah. dangerous. Yeah, yeah, you get people with glasses recording stuff, and like it's yeah, and it's you have not, like what mile and a half mile. Like they, they dropped one like I think at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. So you had <laughs> like people in the thousands like in the Grand Canyon, <laughs> like running around with these glasses. <laughs> like I just it, oh, man. I think the worst of people at times. I feel like <laughs> I think there's a lot of situations where um, human beings. Of course, you don't want to be filmed. There's a lot of times where human beings uh, are in private moments, whether they be by themselves or with a partner, where they don't want to be filmed and get filmed uh, without their permission already. And that's with giant flashes coming off of a camera. Mm-hmm. Now I can just 10 seconds by tapping the corner of my eye record someone doing something that they don't want recorded. Right. Yeah, that's a little dangerous. You know yeah. what I mean, that's. Oh, I mean, think of the cyberbullying possibilities. Right yeah, there. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It I mean, can get real out of hand too. So, yeah. and they look kind of ridiculous. Like they're, you can very easily tell that. <laughs> okay, never. Well then, <laughs> I believe that. The, well then, just don't hook up with dudes who have those on. Right. You know. It's, I mean, the fact that there's a price tag to them alone should be a turnoff. If you're gonna, if you're gonna hit me with ads on the phone, I don't need, I don't need to pay for some glasses. You know what I mean? If it's gonna, if it's gonna come with a camera and a microphone, it's gonna be constantly recording Jeez. me at all times. It should be free. <laughs> I just got shown a Minimal. picture of them. They look ridiculous. So, yeah. Oh man, they're like they're round. They have like a double um, bridge on the nose, and they have two bright yellow circles on either side of the eyes with the cameras. So they're they're, they're noticeable that you can tell there's. It's like if Ringo Starr was in preschool. <laughs> Ladies, I was I was trying to give you a heads up to look out for these people, but you'll know. No, yeah, with them all together, you clearly so. know exactly who's wearing one. <laughs> It's so kind of hard to miss. Yeah, they come in like black and blue and red and all those other crazy colors. Of course they so, do. Like they're bright Snapchat pastel colors that they have. But um, but yeah, I mean, like even like I said, the fact that we're talking about this now is they they know how to innovate. They have the potential. They do have the potential. And I think they could, um, they could surpass 
uh, the the hump that they're at right now. The little yeah. they're stuck in a rut with the stock, but I think if you give them time, they could do it. But that being said, it could. This is a two way street. They could they could crash pretty hard if, if they run yeah, out of right. ways to yeah. innovate. So I think it'll be interesting to see where this discussion is at in like a year right. with Snapchat. If we're talking about the company that was or some this the company that had a great pivot that saved them in term and their stock. Yeah. So I think it'll be cool to see where Snapchat ends up. Do you have any predictions for Snapchat? Like what would be a potential success? Just I'm um, looking at their competitors in general. I don't know how they could be more successful. Um, I'm actually on the other side. I think they're probably going to fail tank. as a company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Instagram rolled out the photos, and right. that took away the generation immediately after the people in like high school and stuff. Because they already have more active. Instagram already has their with their stories feature that the exact like copy and pasted from mm-hmm. Snapchat. They already have more users of their of Instagram stories than Snapchat stories. And how long has Snapchat stories has been out? Yeah. Yeah, true that. <laughs> they have more daily active users on Instagram of store Instagram stories than Snapchat stories. And that Snapchat or Instagram stories launched like a couple months ago. We'll see how we'll see ago. how many active users Facebook has in five months. So that would be something I'd also be curious to see because this could be also just the initial people logging in to just check it out and try it yeah. right. and stuff like that. But at the same time, not many people use um, Snap- not many people use Snapchat for its like fun filters or dog faces mm-hmm. or anything. They just take pictures and put it on their story and share it with people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or just send quick messages to their friends that go away after a while. So I think like Instagram could easily take it. Right. I, personally, I see like Snapchat with as they get more creative in their editing tools, like as they become more similar to Photoshop and things like that. If they become more efficient at teaching people, like getting into the After Effects realm where you can actually edit. Like I know there's there's been a lot of people on YouTube where they've 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 made little trailers for their children. They've had toddlers and stuff, and they put them in movies. Like they're steering a ship and stuff, and they're hopping over lava, and they actually edit in these things like that. I think that that has potential in terms of people's creativity. Is is if you give them the tools and teach them to it. In a way that's intu- intuitive and it's got to be fast. It's got to be fast, and you got to if it's going to be by word of mouth, which it is right now, it's got to be easy. <laughs> but if you yeah. keep going that route, I think they have they show promise. I think they can survive. I think the big thing was for Facebook was that they started to not just be popular amongst the the teens or tweens of that of that time. That they really expanded their audience to everyone. Right. Instagram is slowly doing that, not to the level that Facebook did, but slowly doing that. And again, both of those companies with their big follower bases have basically done everything that Snapchat has done to this point, minus those ridiculous glasses. So it really is, I think you're going to see a slow burn, maybe slower than what Vine had, but I think you're going to see a slow burn until they eventually just get bought out before they die by someone else and just fade away to obscurity. Yeah. That's what my my long term prediction. But you, you you hope that people survive as long as they can. So yeah, uh, I could is... I could see it. But then again, Twitter's still alive. So I see that, and it's like Twitter has gotten live sports rights. That's how that's how much things that's Twitter. What they are. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. Like you can watch NFL games live on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And Twitter's a free app. You can mm-hmm. watch NFL games for free, no cable, no nothing, yeah. as long as you're connected to the internet or have a a phone plan. You can watch the NFL on Twitter. During the week, during the season, no like, that's needed, impressive. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, nothing. Yeah. Just go to the website. Oh, hey, you click here to watch our NFL game live. 
Like that's a big, that's way different than what I ever expected from Twitter. A lot of news breaks on Twitter. A lot of things happen on Twitter faster than Facebook that you wouldn't yeah. expect. A lot of, I mean, help. People have been found and accused of who were accused of doing things been found via Twitter. There's a lot of things that Twitter has done that's just a whole different realm than the social aspects of Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. By yeah. accident, almost. Yeah. That's how it happened. Twitter's up there too well either. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, and they had I think I think it was um, that that big thing it was the Arab Spring that happened through Twitter. It was organized through Twitter. Yeah, yeah. that big uh, political like, revolution. Almost. 2011. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Snapchat just needs to find its its niche. It needs to needs to like understand where it is and try to see if they can innovate. But I I don't have faith. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's I think it's too easy to to capture the selfie like that. Right. <laughs> I am sure some porn company will buy it. Probably some porn company. They wanted some. Yeah. They wanted to buy Vine. They're going to go after Snapchat next. They offered to write the code for healthcare.gov. So the, and, <laughs> like, I mean, they're trying to branch out into everything. Oh man! So well, you see, when I when I think of social media, I think like Facebook. They've cornered the market on what they've 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 gotten your timeline. They have your, your. It's basically this is who you are as a person. Like this is the the record of you online as you exist. Right. This is your timeline. And Instagram is kind of like your photos, your photo history. This is your, the photos that relate to your timeline, right? And Twitter's the thoughts you had along that timeline. And then Snapchat's just like it's your web vlog. You know what I mean? It's your vlog. You're, you're just you're 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 vlogging all your stuff. It's it's faster than YouTube. It's more efficient. It's on your phone. So what other aspects of your life could you socialize in an instant that are not being utilized right now? I think what we talked about in an earlier episode, Amazon with their clothing. I think. If you could, if you could pick designs for people or something like that with with an app like Snapchat, they already have the built-in facial recognition. They could recognize. I mean, for all you know, they could do three D mapping and recognize your body, your your dimensions, something like that. They I mean, do that they, with your face essential. and put those masks on it because they have those three D models. Right. They build a three D model of your face and then put effects on it and modify it. Yeah, that's they what, have a lot of potential down that road. And that's what people like about it. AR. Yeah, like that's augmented what, reality. That's what made back Pokemon, to the Hololens. Yeah, that's what made Pokemon <laughs> Go so popular too. Yep. The fact that there was a game that like that people could integrate into real life and like walk around and got people to go outside. Right. Snapchat like it kind of does the same thing as there's like location based filters and I know some people who will actually like almost like collect them in various ways. They'll save the image for different filters for like different states and stuff. It's pretty cool. So. It's kind of like another way that AR is getting into our lives, and right. I'm not quite sure who's going to be at the helm in two years. So I agree, but if anybody at Snapchat is listening, just to <laughs> potential directions, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and in the same way, um, I think that we're going to see similar failures in the job industry if we're not careful to, to right. move on to the next topic. Um, <laughs> in other industries, if like same thing with the with AR and the advancements there and the smart home. I think we're going to see problems with um, the advances in machinery and manufacturing taking jobs and like automated um, cars and uh, like self even as basic as like self checkout lines and uh, vending machines and stuff like that. Just um, the reach into our society in the next two decades, even even decade on. Um, what could happen if we don't prepare for manufacturing to advance at the rate that it currently is? Because we're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we live in Pennsylvania where I think our 
biggest um, our biggest source of jobs is trucking. And I don't think that'll be around in ten years. Neither do I. Fifteen years. Yeah. I think it's. I think we're gonna run out of like just from automated trucks. In the direction Tesla's going, and even you get a glimpse of it in the movie Logan. I don't know if you guys have seen that yet, but they kind of mm-hmm. they kind of hint at it. You know, the direction the trucking industry is moving. He's making one. Elon Musk yeah. says he's going to have an automated, an, an autonomous semi by the end of the year. Jesus. Well, they're going to announce it in September, reveal what it's going to be, and then hopefully release it. Yeah, the re- um, yeah, the, the Mercedes is working on one too. Yeah. Um, the Recode article that we had for this um, had a bit of a, a hyperbolic title. It was a little kind of blowing it out. It's like robots are are going to take your jobs and they're buying more job-killing robots than ever before and all that stuff. And it's like, it's, it's, there's, it's grounded in some fact. Yeah. But the problem isn't the robots. The technology is going to come whether we want it or not. The problem is in the socioeconomic reform around how we retrain these people to take on a different job. So someone who's a trucker might lose their job to a robot. What do they do? They've been right. driving their whole life. I think that's that's the first move, definitely. But if you're getting into socioeconomics, we have to take a step back entirely from our current consumer this status. <laughs> what is our ultimate addiction to the economy? But yeah, in, in terms of the short term, it, you definitely have to retrain these people <laughs> mm-hmm. in the, the, the most efficient and cost-effective way possible. Even if it's something as simple as like the the guys who are driving the trucks, well, you are now being trained to load the trucks and also correct any issues that happen with the trucks. You're the guy who right. drives the car out in case there's a malfunction halfway through and you need to go fix something. Right. Like just to keep those jobs alive. I mean, it, you've already seen without the huge boom in recent technology how much technology has changed the job market already. Like you said self-checkout. I mean, you can go from you can cut three lanes out of a shop right, drop eight self-checkouts in and have one person run those three lanes. Two people, each one shift a day instead of six people, each one shift a day running three lanes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. cutting costs for the supermarket and also making it faster for us, which is great and all. But like that's four or five people out of a job. Yeah. So what do we do with those people? Do we train them to do X, Y, Z like you were saying? And I mean even – I worked on the, uh, the turnpike eight years ago, summer gig. And that was right when EasyPass started to blow up. And I remember coming and the guy who was training me said five months – I worked the overnight shift. We had two lanes that weren't easy pass until midnight and then we had one. And he was like five months ago, six months ago, there was two easy pass lanes. And now all of them except for one are easy pass. He's like right. that's just how different it is. I was like what happens to all those people? He's like they retire and they go do something else. Mm. Like that, it's, it's crazy to think about that. Some industries that might just happen where you're just going to have to go do something else. And like you said, it's going to be up to a lot of people. Like you said, the social aspect, like what are we going to do for those people to make sure that they still have the ability to to care for themselves and their families? And that's the the dangerous point that um, a lot of people are getting to in in politics when they say they want to bring like manufacturing back into the U.S., and they want to bring um, those jobs back. The problem with that is, sure, manufacturing is going to come back 
to the United States, but there's going to be like a third of the jobs at, at said factory because all of the jobs that like grandparents that we have or like great grandparents when they got a job would work has been automated completely. So you run into this, you run into another problem where now you have a factory that was once staffed by a bunch of low paid workers who were able to handle all of the manual tasks to now you have a, a factory staffed by a much smaller number of highly skilled workers. So either way, those people are still out of a job because yeah, you need right. someone to maintenance the robots that are going to be working there to run the, the high-end systems to develop code to make the factory more efficient. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's all high-skilled jobs. It's not, it's not fixing the problem. It's just kind of masking it and then putting, letting you blame it on something that shouldn't be blamed. I feel like this is only the first level because it seems like a lot of the newer generations are being forced into jobs where it's more like you have to get along along the terms of tech. You're not really being forced into manual labor like we used to be in the past couple hundred years. It's more like, all right, we're getting forced into maintenance jobs that will last longer over the course of time. My real concern seeing things like this is when the machines can maintenance themselves, then who will have a job? Yeah, when you make the robot that maintenances the robot right. no. that can also maintenance itself, like right. that's... Then what do you do? Yeah, <laughs> none of us would have jobs, right? Yeah, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how that um, how that pans out, and also it could be very very bad for society to see if we don't prepare for this. There's right. going to be a major clash of like the classes almost. Yep. Like, I think we could end up in a very like dystopic society where um, all the jobs are taken and people right. are just kind of left to fend for themselves in this world where there's people who run the factories and there's people who are left to kind of figure the, figure out themselves. Yeah. But didn't we already go through this once when during the industrial revolution, not right? We level, did yeah. not to the same level, but we had to uh, figure out new ways of uh, creating jobs uh, when the industrial revolution happened because all those people who used to make um, everything by hand now a robot or a machine could do it much more efficiently it would take less people to operate that machinery they could do it faster and they would make it cheaper than that person who made it by hand so people started buying that um, and then those people who uh, made everything by hand uh, since they couldn't produce it fast enough they were just out of the job because everyone was buying the cheaper uh, product um, I can contest that a little bit. I kind of offer like a devil's advocate counterpoint. Yeah. Um, one, um, the population of the globe was around a billion people at that time. Yeah. It was very small. And two, the bigger thing is that it's much easier to retra retrain somebody. Oh, instead of pushing the horse and carriage, you have to run this factory and pull this lever. Then it is to say, oh, you can't drive this truck anymore. Now you have to learn how to write software to fix the truck. Right, right. Like, it's a lot harder to do that. Yeah, it's way harder. Yeah. yeah. So it's going from a low-skilled... It's, it's now forcing people from low-skilled jobs into high-skilled jobs, right? where there's a significant... Learning like, curve. Yeah. Yeah. So, to get them into that position, that's definitely a huge hurdle for those people who aren't uh, capable of making that jump from... Uh, yeah, so doing something low, low scale to doing a high skill uh, level job. Yeah, you're talking about people who, like you said, someone might be have might have been driving for 30 years, right. driving a truck, so and we know. expect them to overnight be able to learn. I mean, at the time, 
that they started driving that truck, they probably didn't understand the limited amount of programming that there was at the time. And now how advanced we've come, how quickly things change, and we expect to teach them and expect them to understand and learn how to take care of those things would be a far jump. I'm not saying that's exactly what we're going to expect from them, but that would be a pretty huge jump for these people to try and don't get me wrong, manual labor is still a skill, but there's not as many manual labor labor jobs as there used to be because of this, and it right. looks like it's going to continue to go in that direction like we've been talking about. Manual labor is also, today, mostly, I feel like, in underdeveloped countries and in more of, like, the crafts industry and, and like, more agricultural stuff, it's less manual in terms of, like, the industry than it was 50 years ago right. even, even going back 30 years um, we're getting to a point where I think we're going to have a few serious problems with this type of thing because um, like we were saying it's much harder to retrain somebody absolutely I, I think it's just the beginning of something that's systemic that ultimately we have to branch away from the economic model we operate every day on that's what daily life is but when you think about it is money even real anymore what backs the u.s dollar right yeah it's been going on for a long time now <laughs> yeah and like not to it's it's not all like doom and gloom we we can oh do something as a species we absolutely can keep going we'll find new jobs i mean we'll, we'll like like i mean we can turn clean energy into a into a manual labor job somehow we can figure that out although i mean who knows what that's going to be looking like soon with our current regime but that's you know it's <laughs> the, there are options out there there always has been i feel like there's not all of a sudden going to be no options for the yeah. manual labor generation like you had the back when you were you brought up the industrial revolution yeah. there was all of these riots that happened around um and this was probably more centered in like quality of work but like teamsters rioting and people who were unionizing and trying to defend their jobs um, like there was a lot of overhead and like, like I said earlier writing um, on the part of the people who were forced to retrain themselves so seeing that happen it's very possible we could repeat history if we're not careful and I think that right. um, like I said it is something we can avoid we can implement programs that are like subsidized learning courses for community college for people who have these jobs so they can train themselves in a skill such as like engineering or um, some science field or something because going forward i think we're going to need more stem careers than um than like teamsters and like manufacturing or like uh like a lower skilled job like a yeah. something like that and something else is going to be interesting is how um the youth is going to start working because I, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure everybody here had an, a first job as a cashier. Oh so, yeah, it was one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Or did something like that. It's gonna. It's weird because that that like in however long won't be a job. Yep. Like where will children go? Well, like will they go to stuff like like podcasting, like content creation? Yeah. Like yeah. which even so isn't as lucrative if you have that many people trying to make shows and like do this type of a field but I, I think it's it's like it's, it's kind of scary just because it's I scary because I can't comprehend what that job's gonna be 
Right. Someone's got to load a dishwasher, man. That's still be jobs <laughs> for the young kids out there. Someone's got to load it. See, the dishwasher yeah. might do the work. The thing is, we we are experiencing the fear already. It's just in a different form. The fear our current country is experiencing is that it's immigrants taking the jobs that robots are slowly moving in on. Whereas we want to throw up a wall against Mexico. <laughs> That's our solution. It's not very promising. <laughs> yeah, like that that really is the problem, right? That's what they're afraid of. It's the same exact fear. They're not focused on the right focal point here. But <laughs> it's misguided. It's very misguided. Mm-hmm. Maybe but the manual. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> Maybe the manual laborer who's who's building the thing in the factory becomes the guy who helps physically put the robot together and take care of it when something goes wrong. Maybe yeah. I mean it's that's the slow or, or, or the 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 in the meantime fix. But like you said, long term, if we continue to move in this in this mode of automation, I mean we. We were talking earlier. Our whole house is automated now. Yeah. If we continue <laughs> yeah. to move in this form of automation, what, where could it end? What could it do to the job market? I mean, you can see unemployment jump up to exponential and sit at that rate for a long time until a new form of manual labor, a quote unquote less skilled job, presents itself. Yeah, I think it's it's um I, we could end up in a spot where um we need to retrain these people like that, like you were saying. And I think there's going to be a brief period of time where unemployment skyrockets. And, yeah. um, there's that period of time where we're almost forced to do it. And in that same breath with that, I think that we were talking earlier about how we used to have all this crazy syntax around Google searches. Software is getting a little easier to develop and write. And people are building proprietary software development systems for their own stuff. So I think... In that way, like making jobs, like taking software or taking building a hardware and just making it easier mm. for constructing these systems or fixing these robots or doing something, you can almost offer a temporary buffer of fixing the jobs and like or fixing the the, the machines that are going to be like taking everyone's jobs. So I think that uh, we could. I think we. I think we're okay. I don't think it'll be all doom and gloom. Not immediately. It's just. No, it's just a, a matter of what steps we take once that moment really starts to to present itself in full effect. And exactly. we can't blame it on the robots. No, no, it's not the robots' fault. Until they become self-aware, then it's all yeah. their fault. You can't blame it on the Mexicans either. Yes, <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> you know that robots can't become evil if you don't put red eyes in them too. So if you don't put, <laughs> if you don't put, if you don't put red lights on the robot, it can't be evil. So. Mm-hmm. We have to just make them our friends. So I think, I think we're good. <laughs> All right, guys. Anybody else? Last points on, on robots taking everyone's jobs. The new threat to the to America. As long as we know where the problem's coming from and don't blame it on the wrong thing. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys. Well, I mean, it's it's another week in the books. Yes, another episode <laughs> under wraps. It is. We're releasing Tuesdays, right? Uh, that's the plan. All right, so we'll get it to you on this coming Tuesday. Hopefully, we'll release on time. Uh, for for everybody here, I mean, J-Bone's not here, but for Slavin, Thompson. And um, just wanted to say before we sign off that um, it's probably already known, but we are available on almost every major podcasting medium. So you can uh, add our RSS feed on Podbean to your favorite podcatcher or um, – we're available on iTunes, Google Play, um, SoundCloud, um, soon to be maybe a couple more. And also we post our links weekly to Facebook or as 
as weekly as we can get with our schedules. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And follow our Facebook. So we're, we're trying to grow our Facebook audience and uh, um, you can find us uh, at Facebook slash industry 40 all spelled out. And then we're looking to like post uh, news articles and, and uh, things that are happening in tech. So we can keep you guys up to date in between the episodes of uh, things that are happening. And then during the episodes, we'll discuss some of those topics that we that we post to the uh, Facebook site uh, more in depth, like we did today. It's almost like a live show notes yeah. type of thing. All right, well, I think that's an episode. So. Yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for listening, guys. And, uh, see you next time.